Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. A year in review, 1931 and 1932. Hello, everybody, and welcome. It's me, Christian. Welcome to the Gilda Films podcast. So if you have been listening to us, uh, which hopefully, yeah, you should, because you're back for this episode, we have talked about the fifth Academy Awards, which consisted of a bunch of movies that were like, you know, they were there. They're very old. We have, uh, you know, the good stuff like The Champ and Shanghai Express. And of course, the Best Picture winner, Grand Hotel. But today we're here to talk about a few movies that were, I believe, actually looking at this, not nominated for really anything. There was one film that we had picked, um, excuse me, that was nominated for something. But just before I start introducing who everybody is here today, I want to point out that uh, I think we we did this with um, another year or so where we had to look at a specific list of films that qualified for Oscars in that year. So if you don't hear from your favorites from 1931 or 1932, it's more than likely that it was not eligible or we really couldn't find an eligibility date. So we just went with uh, an assumption here. So anyway, we hope you listen and enjoy. We got some good stuff going on, but hello to me. Hello to Brett. What's up? Hello, hello. And hello again to John. Welcome back. It's great to be here. And John, as we record this, it is the day before your birthday. It is. It is. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to me. Um, and you, you know what the greatest present of all, Christian, is? Um, talking about um, a uh, Best Picture nominee that you did not mention earlier. Uh, <sighs> I, it's it's a, about something with the military. Um, some happy military. Top Gun. Yes, it's <laughs> Top Gun. Uh, did um, you happen to revisit the Smiling Lieutenant? I did not. I did actually. Yes, I did. First <laughs> plot twist. I know. No, I did. I told you all in the last episode, listeners, friends, that you know I wasn't really feeling the Smiling Lieutenant, but as these two really gloated about it and rubbed it in my face. I had some time off because of surgery and I was like, you know what? I will get to the smiling Lieutenant again. And sure enough, I did. I watched it on my computer on our favorite little, you know, website. Cause I couldn't access the DVD and I really liked it this time around. Um, I thought it was funny. I laughed quite a few times and I will say if I were to re-rank these films, which, you know, sure. I would place it higher than one hour with you, which I really did like. So I can agree to both of you that it was the better of the two Lubitsch films. That was not actually my ranking, but yes. Well, whatever. That's what you, (laughs) yeah. Somebody mentioned it. Okay. I was, I I did. Yeah. I think I I I went one hour first. I was zoned out. Okay. (laughs) Cause I didn't feel part of that, but yes, I did go back and watch it and I really liked it. So there you go. Nice. Love it. And I did like the, uh, what is it? The, the lingerie song. 
Jazz up your lingerie. Jazz up your lingerie. Yeah. yeah. So they got an original song win for me for my personals. Nice. Very nice. Cool. Yeah, I love the reappraisal. I was not, I was expecting you to like it more. I was not expecting it to jump one hour with you. So yeah. That was a surprise in my book. But yeah. Both good movies though. So and they both might show up later when we get to our personal awards. So very nice. Well, um, I don't think we had any other reappraisals. So um, we will jump into the other films we're going to be talking about this time. So as always with years that have more than five nominees, we each picked one and then we took the last one to a a Twitter vote. Um, And Twitter resulted in a tie, which I was very surprised about. I pick Um, winners. (laughs) Yeah. So we'll get to what those are. Um, We got some good ones coming up and um, it probably worked out for the best because we got to watch two really good films because of it. So, um, but we're going to go ahead and jump in with these movies and John is going to kick us off with the first one. So go ahead and take us away. My only introduction since my, my choice in that Twitter poll lost. (laughs) Um, My um, film that I chose was a new La Liberté. Um, which is also known um, as light. Um, I, I've been practicing. Um, Can you say that? Wait, no, actually say that one more time because of the life of me, I, I didn't even want to bother saying this name. Say it one more time. A new la liberté. Wow. Um, which also means freedom for us in English. And so um, this is directed by Renee Claire and is a French musical political dramedy. It has a lot of descriptors. Um, it's about two inmates, Emile, um, played by Henri Marchand, and Louis, um, played by Raymond Cordy, who attempt an escape from prison that results in Louis getting out, but Emile um, not being successful. On the outside, Louis becomes a titan of industry, while on the um, other side of the wall, Emile, who does eventually get out of prison, uh, he eventually, um, he never succeeds and um, lives kind of in this relative poverty. So um, Louis is very successful, Emile, not so much um, monetarily. Um, after being arrested for vagrancy, um, Emile unsuccessfully tries to kill himself from his prison cell, which accidentally leads to him escaping from prison um, successfully this time and going to pursue a beautiful woman um, named Jean. Uh, He eventually finds work at one of Louis' factories, and when they are reconciled, while initially Louis wants to threaten him and pay him off, assuming he's just there for money, he realizes that Emile only wants to rekindle their friendship, um, which changes Louis' perspective on how he will run his prim and proper life, and they start having fun um, and sort of getting into some shenanigans together. Um, The movie is noted both for its groundbreaking art direction and set design, which won it an Oscar nomination, which um, I double checked. I don't think we had this as a trivia nugget from the last one, but this is the first non-English film to ever be nominated for an Oscar in any category. Um, And so um, overall, I liked the movie. I didn't love it, love it, but I liked it. And I thought it was really refreshing in the way it talked about the way we undervalue labor Um, This is a very progressive film uh, in terms of showing how labor is exploited by the ruling class. It's very, it's very woke. Um, It's very, um, it's, yeah, it's a very progressive film, particularly for 1931. Um, And I think the political commentary and art direction occasionally underline that there's slightly too little character development between the two main characters. But overall, I thought it was really fun and and honestly, a thoughtful film uh, in general. And I think and I don't know if we'll get into it, but it really seems very similar to Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. Yes. 
Um, I'll go. I want to go next because mine's going to be kind of brief with this because these kind of um, early French films for me are they're hit and miss. It's either I don't really get them enough or they just don't stick with me like from the onset this one i did like i will say um i don't know if i thought it was i thought it was gonna be first of all i thought it was gonna be like a full-on musical where everybody's singing and everything only because you know the beginning they're singing their little praises but i liked it um i had did like what it was trying to get at it reminded me a little bit of les mis only with like jean valjean getting away from prison and then becoming you know successful businessman and all that so, but I did like this and I like exploring these types of movies that I've never heard of before because I've never heard of this movie um, until uh, Brett told me that John had picked it. And then I was like, oh, we have to watch a French movie. Oh, <sighs> lovely. Thinking, of course, you know, this is a Brett movie mm-hmm. as my phrase is, but I appreciate it for what it was. I'm not like the biggest fan, but I enjoyed it. I figured I'd get ahead of that because I also assumed that Brett would take the French film. <laughs> Yeah, th- this actually wasn't on my radar either. Um, you know, Rene Claire is obviously a esteemed French director. I really only know him from a short film he did called Entracte, um, which is really good. But um, yeah, this one, I, I thought it was fine. I, I thought it was, you know, it- it's funny you mentioned like Charlie Chaplin in-, in modern times because my initial thought after finishing this was like, this feels like a lesser Charlie Chaplin movie to me. Um, you know, and Modern Times is the best example. And it deserves credit because it came before Modern Times by, you know, five years. But even beyond that, I, I, it has that kind of Chaplin feel in the way the characters kind of go about things. And it's, it's comedic in some ways. And there are a lot of situations that are kind of out there, like in the end where money is blowing off the roof and everybody's like going frantic for it. And that's like the way he escapes. Um, but like I said, it's definitely lesser, like the characters, like you said, that's the biggest problem with this movie. Like the characters, I just, I really don't care about them that much. Um, there's not much to them beyond, you know, what they are. Um, it doesn't really go deep into who they are. Um, there's a romance here that let's just say it's no city lights. Um, the, the romance is not very developed whatsoever at all. And it's kind of weird in some ways and didn't really add much for me. Um, but it is interesting that Claire is kind of doing something unique in that, you know, what it kind of is, is it, it has the look and feel of a silent movie, but it's not a silent movie. Pretty much the only dialogue is where I would imagine intertitles would be. Um, and so it's not a dialogue heavy movie, like nearly every other one we've talked about from this year. Um, so far it's. It has the musical numbers. That's the only other place, you know, where it differs. And um, those are kind of interesting, especially in the beginning. I liked that first one, how it leads into the film. And it's like, you know, the prisoners, they're singing about liberty and, and getting free. And that was kind of a cool introduction. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree that the political commentary definitely helps. Um, it's just hard when it, 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 it doesn't live up to other films that have done it better and are more enjoyable. Um, but yeah, this one certainly has its moments. I like when the two characters kind of let go and they're like throwing food at his portrait and being idiots. That's funny. And I get into it, but like, you know, beyond that, there's just not much to them. So it was hard for me to really grasp onto it though. 
it's a well-made film. It looks great technically. I like, like I said, how it plays with like silent versus musical. Um, and I think that's kind of the redeeming factor for me that, you know, I still like it, but it's a very mild kind of enjoyment for me. I agree. And for the record, I, I don't think it, it compares to Chaplin, even though there there's obviously it's it's clear Chaplin must have watched this before he made modern times. Yeah. Yeah. I think the question that I have, and this was when I was writing the intro for this, I wasn't sure whether to drive it as a comedy, a drama, what where it was. Do you think if it had been straight up uh silent that like it would have just been it would have looked like a comedy? Because I feel like it's more dramatic in the sense of like Louise's character is losing a lot here um i think he's gaining a lot but he's also losing stuff and i feel like had it been silent it would have just played as farce the whole movie yeah i i can see that just because like like it to me like it, it sticks out as both but to me it's the comedy that sticks with me because that's what it looks like in the imagery it's it's sped up the frame rates higher um the situations they get into are imagery is more comedic compared to like the dialogue and the music and whatnot. So absolutely. I could see that being the case. Yeah. So this was, um, even though it was like you said, our, our only, um, non-English film here, it was the one film that we picked for these additional selections that did get an Oscar nomination. So John, do you want to mention what it got and talk about that? Yes. Um, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, which um, if you see the film, it's pretty clear why that would have happened. There's a lot of scenes of sort of assembly lines and um, really sort of cavernous Alexander Nevsky sort of um, giant square. Like all of the furniture is just like, it's very geometric. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's distinct. Very much so. Definitely plays a role in the so, film and the narrative. I don't remember who, who it lost to. Do either of you remember who won Best Art Direction? Was it, was it Aerosmith? I feel like it was probably Aerosmith. Probably, yeah, because it won two. Or... A movie called Transatlantic. No, oh, yeah, I did not get to that one. Mm. Aerosmith was nominated, but yeah, no, yeah, I did yeah. not. Have you seen, either of you seen Transatlantic? I have not. Yeah. First international film to be nominated for an Oscar. Did not know that. So I'm glad you found that fact there. And yeah, definitely worth checking out. Yes. And it's on Criterion Channel. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Any further thoughts on that one before going on to our next film? All right. Well, our next one is actually one that was one of the winners from the Twitter poll. So and our Twitter followers out there listening, this is thanks to you. It is Frankenstein. And so this is actually one that I, I almost picked as my original pick um, between the one that I did pick. And honestly, I probably should have just picked it. Um, but I, Chris is giving me a look. You didn't pick it either. All right. So um, <laughs> because in all honesty, I, I if you haven't picked up on the pattern, I let you pick the popular movies first. That's true. That's true. But we're, we're here. We're talking about it anyway. So Frankenstein, I mean, I imagine most people are going to kind of know what this is about by now. Um, it centers on Dr. Victor Frankenstein. Or he's not Victor in this movie. He's Henry. So that, that's always been interesting to me. Um, Henry Frankenstein, excuse me, um, who, as we know, he wants to cre create this experiment to see if he can basically 
bring someone back from the dead. Um, and so he pieces all these, these pieces of human bodies together. He steals, has his assistant steal a brain from the lab. Um, he digs up graves to find different body parts and he pieces it together and shoots it up. It gets struck by lightning. And of course, Frankenstein's monster comes to life um, and eventually comes to wreak havoc on the local village. And so pretty popular, well-known story um, by this point. And yeah, John mentioned there's a different character named Victor, though. Like that's, it's so confusing. Um, but yeah, so pretty common. I think, you know, this film is certainly notable because I think when people think of Frankenstein, they think of this Frankenstein, like Boris Karloff as Frankenstein. This is the image that comes to mind. It's been circulated in popular culture. Um, and that's what we think of. And I think for good reason, this film is definitely the, the look of it, I think is what you would want from Gothic horror. It's got the shadows, it, the way that it looks feels like a predecessor to film noir in a way. Um, the production design, I think is just amazing. It, it's very like, in some ways the walls are plain and whatnot, but it creates exactly what you would expect that, um, like old time lab to look like where kind of a crazy scientist is putting together this experiment. Um, I think part of the reason the film works best and holds up after all this time is that, you know, the monster from Karloff is someone who is scary, but is very easy to sympathize with too, I think. Um, you know, it's this, this person, persons, let's just say plural that like comes to life and has no idea what's going on, has no sense of the world. And all of a sudden they're like throwing flames at it and um, trying to, to pick on him and whatnot. And so of course he goes a little bit crazy and kills a few people. Um, not that that's, you know, excusable, but um, I think it does a nice job of like presenting the monster in a way that you can kind of understand it to a degree. Um, that said, I, I don't think the movie's perfect um not often that i say this but i think it's definitely too short um you know we get to the point where like frankenstein's monster kind of breaks out and then it feels like from then on it goes very quickly and it ends very suddenly there's a scene where like he this is still the best scene to me he's like playing with this little girl and all of a sudden he like picks her up and throws her in the lake um not knowing that he's gonna drown her in the process but to me that scene is still so disturbing um the one that's the one scene from this movie i saw as a kid i remember i was like flipping the channels ended up on like tcm that scene came on and it frightened me and i still find it really disturbing i wanted a little more of that um you know before we get to that big finale in in the tower and whatnot and so that said i think it's a really good movie i think it holds up really well it's like a, a technical marvel in some ways, um, but I don't absolutely love it. it. It's not like an all-time favorite horror for me. There's some things that I think it could have expanded on a little bit and it's gone a little longer and been a little bit better, but still really enjoy it. It is a quick 70 minutes and it's a fun like late night horror movie watching classic film. Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorites, especially with one of like the universal monsters. I really like the whole, the Frankenstein franchise 
I'm pretty sure that I've seen all of them. Um, but this and then the sequel, of course, Bride of Frankenstein. And then, of course, the inspiration for like one of my favorite films of all time, Young Frankenstein, which, my God, like all the inspiration that Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks got from this to make that incredible. But Boris Karloff is incredible in this. I mean, the fact that in 1931, when this came out, they didn't even put his name in the beginning, too. It's like the creature question. Yeah. And the fact, too, and we uh, we were texting this, too, um, that Boris Karloff made like 16 features during this time. I mean, he's in Five Star Final, which we saw. Like, the man is a damn genius. And in this, he ain't even saying anything. He's just showing every single range of emotion through facial expressions, through the grunts. And I agree that that scene with the little girl is horrifying but it makes that monster i don't know it makes it, you know that that monster is a newborn child you know like he doesn't know right and wrong and everything he's just he's afraid of the world and for this brief moment he's just following what the little girl's doing so um but no and the production design of course really amazing in this well i know there was a whole controversy when this first came out about the line of like now i know what it's like to be god and yeah <laughs> I don't know. That's 1931 for you. But I always harken back to like this depression era movie and people want to get out of that funk. And this is something that can actually frighten you for the time being and whatnot. So it's incredible. It is an incredible film. And I highly recommend it. Actually, there's a theater here in town that will be showing it in October. Um, hint, hint to one of you. Um, but that'll be cool because I've never had the chance to see this in the theater before. And I really want to go. So even if it's like a DVD, I don't care. Pop it in, show it on a big screen. Yeah. So this was this was for me was the the one repeat viewing we're doing today. All of the other four were were new to me. Um, I think this is the third time I've seen Frankenstein, but it was the first time I'd seen it since I'm um, similar to Christian, and I know we were texting about this as I was doing it, but um, I saw have seen all of the Universal monster movies now um, through the 1950s. So I've seen every Frankenstein. And for me, what was striking watching them um, compared to this movie compared to those was there's more terror in this. I think the the obviously a modern audience is going to be more sophisticated in, in the sense that like they would have in 1931 compared to what the horror would be. But like that scene with the girl is genuinely terrifying. Um, uh, there the scene where Colin Clive is screaming, it's alive, it's alive, um, is properly iconic. I mean, he's not like a great actor. Um, you're not going to confuse him with Henry Fonda, but he, like he nails that scene. Um, I think also to your point, Pret, um, the the monster here is complicated in the sense that he's both the villain, but also he's not he's not a bad person. Not he doesn't know what he's doing, and so there's there's a sympathy factor there that I think that's really um, fascinating. Uh, for me, Karloff is just magic in this. He's so good. Um, he's weirdly in less of the movie than you might think. I think had supporting categories existed as well as film Twitter in 1931, there would have been a giant debate over whether or not this would constitute category fraud. And I hope we get into that in a few, uh, in a bit here, if he shows up on any of our personal ballots, but, um, the ending is, I liked the ending. I liked the abruptness of it. I, I kind of liked the, the length. Um, overall being shorter, I feel like it makes everything feel sort of urgent. Um, and so honestly, I have, this is my favorite viewing that I've done of this. I 
normally would not have given it as high of a rating as I did. Um, I always liked it. I loved it this time. I think, I think it's graduated. This is um, from such an early film and everything. I always say to myself that this is a really good looking movie too. I mean, that comes from everything from production design and the way Karloff looks and all that. But I really like, I didn't like, I did. I will confess, I did not rewatch it for this because I had just seen it in October and I tend to save my viewings for October. And plus, I've seen this like a bajillion times and I know this film very, very well. Um, but my favorite times in watching this is during October. You turn literally all the lights off that you possibly can. I have the entire um, Universal Monster collection. So the Blu-ray of it is even more like beautifully, what is it, remastered and revamped and everything like that. This is not one of those movies you should find on YouTube. Like, try to find yeah, a right. disc of it and, like, actually, or obviously see it in theaters, which would be amazing. Right. Yeah. Hint, hint at the theater thing. <laughs> Are you no, saying that you want me to visit you in Kansas City again, Christian? <laughs> I mean, yes, you can. <laughs> um, I, I think the makeup, too, and just mm, in yeah. general, like, the, the makeup throughout the, the I mean, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde came out this year. Freaks came out this year. Like, why did they wait 50 years to add a best makeup category at the Oscars when you had all of this good stuff happening and you didn't recognize it? Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. You, Steph, sorry, go sorry. ahead. I was just going to ask. I have lots of notes in this because, like, yeah, to, to Christian's go point, this is, I, I love the Frankenstein movies so much. Do you think, because apparently Bela Lugosi tried out for this and he did eventually play Frankenstein in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. How do you think he would have compared to Karloff in this? I, I mean, I don't, I think Lugosi's very specifically a Dracula type. I think he's not the actor Karloff is, but I really want to see that movie <laughs> just for the sort of the, the historical, I don't know the, what happened. Yeah. I don't think I don't think I see him as this monster type and I do just see him as Dracula and I don't and that's the thing too because I really it's a love hate with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman where I like that like the the concept of it in theory but then again he's not memorable at all he's more memorable to me as um what's his name his name Igor. is Igor Igor duh great as Igor and son, son of son of yeah and son of he's more iconic as that role outside of the Dracula role. I think he's great. I think he honestly upstages Karloff in that third film, um, which I don't, they made so many movies together and that's maybe the only time I'd ever say that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to, I don't have all the Universal Monster movies watched. I'm like very few of them, but like, since I, I have seen Frankenstein and I have seen Dracula, it's hard. Yeah, I see Lugosi as a Dracula and that's a, a very different type of monster, um, obviously. So, I can't, it would be interesting, but yeah, I can't see it here. So, and Dracula was not eligible for this year's Oscars. Yes. I, I think it just missed the, the cut. Yeah, I think it would have been the previous Oscars. So It's incredible um, how much these two movies between Dracula and Frankenstein really shifted gears of like cultural acceptance of horror movies. And it's like, at the time, this is terrifying. And now it's yeah. like, oh, this is scary, but you know. And how they're viewed. Like, I was going to ask so, one, have either of you read Frankenstein the book? And two, like, does it influence how you view this at all? Like, 
Oh yeah, you showed it. So yeah, so thoughts it's on that? Super boring. <laughs> the, I was forced to read it for high school and I had never seen, okay, whoa, wait, story time. Okay. <laughs> I was forced to read it to high school, never seen the movie before, but obviously pretty much understood what the movie was based on young Frankenstein. Okay. Fully expecting to go in there is like reading, like, you know, it's alive, it's alive. And I'm like, what is it? It's super boring, as John said, right? And yet, again, never having seen this movie, I wrote a full on paper about the comparison, the compare and contrast of book and movie. And I got an A plus. Nice. Okay, never having seen this movie, I pulled shit out of my ass for that. <laughs> Including the monster is green, the book monster is not green. Right. And see, that's the what's book- interesting to me is that like the, you know, maybe they would have like done it differently if they could. I imagine like the the monsters are presented in the book is maybe a little bit too gruesome for a 1950 or 31 movie. But it's the movie, this movie that like has endured that image of Frankenstein. That's what people think or Frankenstein's monster. That's what people think of. Which is even more shocking because they don't actually mention that he's green in the movie. I, I double checked that this time. <laughs> And obviously it's in black and white. I, I think in real life he was green, but, and so maybe there were publicity steals, but it's sort of staggering to me that this image of Frankenstein as a green monster, I mean, you'd probably have to wait until the sixties before that's actually something you see on a, right. a screen in color. Right. Um, yeah. I, and and then of course, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of what the, um, Frankenberry and Frankenberry brings back the pink monster. <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten Frankenberries before. Really? Yeah, that's gonna change, Christian. I don't like those cereals though. I have a lot of this is not the podcast for that, but I have a lot of opinions. People go on my Twitter and you will find a lot of opinions <laughs> on the General Mills monster cereals. <laughs> um yeah, I I yeah, I, I think the other thing comparing Frankenstein to Dracula is it, it, this came out later it was more successful and Lagosi kind of just spent the rest of his career chasing Karloff which is really sad I feel like Lagosi's like Karloff made so many more interesting roles he was more successful as an actor I mean he ended his career uh, I mean Lagosi ends his career with Ed Wood and Karloff ends his career with Peter Bogdanovich there's not a lot of yeah. that's the rough way to go out on your on the rest of your career. However, I could tell you what Lugosi's you know final features were. I couldn't tell you about Karloff. Oh, Targets is really good. The Bogdanovich. Oh wait, I've seen that. Okay, really good. Yeah, I have seen that. But Ed Wood, I mean, and the Grinch. Come on. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say how how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah. No, and by the way, shout out shout out Karina Karina Longworth. Her oh. series on oh, yeah. is so good. I listen to it every year. Every year. That's my <sighs> Halloween tradition. Karina Longworth. Come on, Gilded Films. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Very nice. But yeah. I, and like we said, no noms for Frankenstein, though it should have had a number of them. Many. Um, many. Um, but yeah, definitely, if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. Don't be swayed away just because it's like an old horror film it still has a lot of effect so any final thoughts on frankenstein all right well christian you've got our next one so take us away 
Okay, so our next film is a, a very scandalous title for the day. Oh my, the language. Please forgive me. We already have that expletive rating on all of our episodes, as I always like to point out, and that's on me, I guess. But So we have Merrily We Go to Hell, and directed by Dorothy Arzner. Have we spoken about her before, like a specific film? Nope, I don't believe so. No, that's what I thought. And also, we don't speak about many films directed um, by women because I don't know why. And then especially, this is 1932, 31 we're talking mm-hmm. about. This is Dorothy Arzner, such a revolutionary person to make a film as a woman, get it out there, make it popular. And years later, here we are watching it. I mean, God, this is on the Criterion collection too, um, as John pointed out to me. Um, but yeah, this is merely We Go to Hell. I watched this last year. Before I get to the plot, I watched this last year. I really, really ended up liking it. So you'll know that in advance of why I picked this. So I've seen this before. So it is about um, Jerry Corbett, who is played by Frederick March, who we might talk about in honorable mentions later. Um, but he is a reporter living in Chicago. He also writes plays. He meets Joan Prentice, who's a bit of an heiress. She's obviously rich. Her name, uh, excuse me. She's played by Sylvia Sidney. Who I was like, who is this? Where have I seen her really before? But if you Beetlejuice fans out there, she plays the caseworker Juno. So, you know, very like 1989. No, that's 88. That's 1988. So, yeah. Um, But anyway, they meet, they fall in love. Jerry is, however, a very serious alcoholic. And he has a lot of personal issues in his life. But when he decides to marry Joan, there's a whole scene where their wedding sort of soiree marriage engagement goes awry because he arrives drunk. The best way that I can kind of describe this and the way that I described it to Toby when we first watched it is think about it as like a star is born, but it's mostly from not the perspective of the star. It's the husband and all of his issues, everything else. So basically it's just a continuation of seeing the highs and lows of this marriage of Jerry and Joan, but especially the lows of Jerry and just how far he can go before he really gets himself into serious trouble, um, trouble with his marriage, trouble with another woman. Her name is, oh, where are we at here? Uh, Claire, played by Adrian Allen. And just, what is John sending me here? I'm going to read this. It's Nick and Nora Charles from The Thin Man, If They Wandered Into the Lost Weekend. Well, there you go. That's the best way. That is actually a pretty good way. I mean, there are moments in this where it's like, it is kind of very joyous, but yes, at the same time, once Jerry really slips, it is heartbreaking and it is sad. And Frederick March to me does such a great job with this. And I'm realizing that with watching this and the best years of our lives and Dr. Jekyll and a few other films that I've seen him in, I really like him as an actor. Like I really not can obviously not connect with him but the way that he sells this guy, the way that he sells Jerry as a character, I feel so bad for him. And I want him to get help. And I want him to stay with Joan. And there's just a lot of things that happen between that marriage. And uh, there's a whole situation on his sobriety. And when she becomes pregnant and things happen there with that story that I don't want to get into because it's such a great film to watch. Um, but no, I again, like I said, I really, really like this. I love the performances in this more than anything else. Sylvia Sidney is great in this. Like I said, Frederick March is incredible in this. So I'm glad. I think I saw that you both pretty much like this, which is good. Thankfully. Woo! Picked that good one there, didn't I? So... That is me, and that is Merrily We Go to Hell, which 
is in fact said in this many times. Yeah, and I'm just saying to myself, the language. <laughs> oh, and John also points out here. Well, I'll let you read what you just wrote about Dorothy Arzner here. You want me to go next here, Brett? And I can. Yeah, I can go for it. Here. Go for it. Yeah. So Dorothy Arzner, there were only in the, I mean, the reason you don't talk about many old women or many female directors in all of Hollywood, because there weren't any. Um, the 30, first 35 years of the DGA, there were only three women in the uh, DGA. It would have been Dorothy Arzner, Ida Lupino, and Elaine May would have been the first three women in the in the DGA. Um, and I think so- the, D- the DGA with like Elaine May and her films are what, like the 60s, 70s? Seven, I think A New Leaf would be the first one, if I yeah. remember right. So it'd be 71. You have to go, which shows what a pioneer Arsner was to be able to. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lapino had been a movie star for a decade. Arsner just sort of worked her way up here. It's really impressive. Um, and Dance Girl Dance is so good. If you, either of you have not seen it, it's so I have it good. saved to my DVR. It's so good. Lucille Ball's best performance that isn't Lucy Ricardo. Um, so she's excellent. Oscar worthy um, sort of performance. Um, I had never heard of this, Christian. I'll be real here. And I don't get to say that very often. Um, with I did so, it. I did it. You did. You stumped me and I loved it. I thought it was really a big fan. I thought it did a really strong job of transitioning from what like I assumed from the initial um, the initial couple scenes that it was going to be a rom-com, which I was on board for. But then it sort of telegraphed into something darker and um, really um, like kind of sensational for a 1931 to 32 film, even for pre-code. Um, I think that the conversation about March's alcoholism, I agree with you. I think he's so good in this movie. Um, he was hit, just in general having a really good year. I am mixed about Sylvia Sidney as a rule. This is my favorite performance I've seen from her. I thought it was really excellent. She sort of charmed. I love that she was sort of charmed, charmed by a man with personal demons before we as the audience could see them. But if you, I, I rewatched the first couple scenes immediately after watching it because I was so struck by like the, the tone. And it's very obvious from the opening scenes that he has issues, but we as the audience and she as the, the female lead are assuming that it's a rom-com and it's going to be charming. And that's going to be sort of this Nick and Nora Charles sort of approach to alcoholism. And it's not. Um, I thought the Arzner wordplay was sparkling. My favorite line, and I, it'll be hard to recreate. So if you see this at home, you should just watch this scene. But there's a scene where um, Sylvia Sidney says, you believe in signs. And they're looking at a sign. And she means like a metaphorical sign, but she's looking at a sign. And it's just really funny. And I thought it was really lovely. And uh, yeah, I was just impressed with that. I also thought the conversations about a modern marriage were very progressive. Like they would be progressive in 2022. Yep. Um, and um, and I'm, I would assume were quite shocking in 1932. And then uh, Christian, I apologize if you did, but I, did you mention that Cary Grant is in this for like two oh, seconds? No. Yeah. And, and I guess what? with that, when he first gets on, on screen, his back is turned, but you just hear his voice. And immediately I was like, Hey, I had the same hey. thing I was I had in my note I was gonna ask you to like could you tell that it was Cary Grant before you even saw him because you can't see him and this would have been really I mean this is even before he made his Mae West film so this is really early in his career if it's I mean is it his first it must be close to his first movie um but yeah I I was a big fan I I, I didn't know about this this will probably be a criterion that I will be buying same here let me see this is 
Well, okay, so I don't know exactly. Wikipedia doesn't have these listed in, in order, but 1932 was the first year Cary Grant appeared on screen. But they do have it listed as the fourth. I mean, it's not alphabetical, so maybe it was like his fourth film. Yeah, I also really enjoyed this. Um, I had actually, the first time I heard of it was when the Criterion was announced because it just entered the collection like two or three years ago, I think. Um, and I remember when they announced it, I had never heard the movie, but a lot of people I saw on film Twitter were really excited about it. Um, and yeah, when I look at the title, I do think like this is going to be pre-code, you know, going for it, progressive, and it delivered. Um, kind of like John said, I in the first, you know, you know, a little over ha- or first below half of the movie, um, I wasn't sure if it was going to go that route aside from that line. Um, it, yeah, it did come off as kind of like a typical rom-com, which I was into, but didn't love. Um, the scene where like he, they had the wedding and he puts the ring on her finger and we find out it's actually like a corkscrew used for wine, um, a wine corkscrew that was kind of hilarious, but also sad at the same time. Um, so great moment there, but I, yeah, I agree. Once it kind of hits high gear and it gets into its progressive mode, it is so good. Um, my, I think my favorite thing about it, obviously the representation of the alcoholism is so like strong and, and impressive, but I loved that this is a movie about an open marriage. Um, that is absurd to me, not in a bad way. It's absurd to me that a movie from 1931, 32 was about an open marriage where they like explicitly say, we're going to have an open marriage. Um, you're going to go sleep with her. Fine. I'm going to go sleep with people too, but they're still married. And that is just wild to me. Um, and it, it, it really, it obviously leads to some complications. And I think the way that it presents it is very effective. I feel so strongly for both characters in the movie. Um, I agree with both of you. The performances are just excellent. Frederick March is great. I've also, same as you, Christian, since we've talked about him since the best years of our lives. Um, I watched Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde today. He is excellent. Um, and I think Sylvia Sidney matches him completely here. Um, I, I think they are equally great in this movie. Um, I just felt so much for her in that scene where she sees him with his former flame and she can tell that he is just so drawn to her. Um, and she's known about for a while, but she's finally hit her end. Um, felt for her so deeply there and in the end, um, which the ending scene, I, I, I think the ending scene is great too. Um, very sad movie at times, very happy movie at times. It covers the full range of emotions and it will get to personal worst, but it ended up being one of my favorites from the year. So I also might look to get this on criterion at some point as well. Um, it's not on the criterion channel right now, which was a little bit upsetting because I would have liked to watch it on there and see what it looked like, but hopefully they do add it there soon. And it's funny. We mentioned like the DGA stuff just because, we were talking about Arsner. I was thinking, you know, we we've talked about Ida Lupino once, and I the thought that came to mind, like I'm trying to think who else until Lupino there was, and it makes sense that there wasn't really anybody else, um, at least not that was in the DGA. So that's really interesting and sad. But it it's funny that I brought up um, how this reminded me of A Star Is Born when I totally glanced the fact that Frederick March is in the OG Star Is Born playing nope. as essentially the same type of character with alcoholic you know alcoholism and all of that i mean he does it so well i guess you can never see past james mason christian 
What? You never see past James Mason. I guess not. <laughs> Look, okay. <laughs> That's also a great performance. Um, and then uh, isn't his character in the best years of our lives also struggling with alcoholism? Yes. yes. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. I'm drawn to that type of character, I guess. All right. And Frederick March does it so well. Leave me yeah. be. Notice how James Mason didn't come back. Did we did we lose him? I was he, gonna say I gave you an opening and everything. He's on hiatus right now. He's afraid of Brett. If you listen to our I, 1954 best of episode. I figured he got his personal work from you and then finally died. But <laughs> This is a spoiler alert for me. You never know. <laughs> oh, that's right. You haven't heard that one yet. Whoops. I haven't uh, heard that one yet. That's not out yet, y'all. Yeah, it's not out yet. Um, well, it'll be out by the time this it'll be out air. soon. It'll be out soon. Yeah, so only only I was spoiled there. <laughs> yep, sorry. But yeah, no. Um, I agree, though. Frederick March, these characters. I Yeah, I also really like those kind of characters. I think that's a, a challenging role to play, but it's like high risk, high reward. Um, and so the rewards are definitely really high here. So, and once again, not a single nomination. Obviously there weren't many nominations giving out overall this year, but surely one of them could have gotten acting nom. I mean, whatever, but. It could have gotten in over Aerosmith. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Really good movie. Definitely check it out. Um, any further thoughts on Merrily We Go to Hell? It's definitely, you know what? I will say if you are a person who goes to the Criterion sale, although I don't know when this episode is airing, but hey, you have until November also when it comes back in November. If you're a person who goes into the Criterion sale and you're like, I just want to buy something I've never seen before. If you've yeah. never seen this film, by all means, you won't regret it. It's one that's I, I I do think it's really easy to like, if not love. So, all right. Well, our next film is the one that I picked. Um, going from one like very pre-code film to another very pre-code film. The reason I actually picked this one is because I remember like in film school and things I've read when we talk about pre-code, it seemed like this was always one of the first films that came up, and it is Redheaded Woman, um, directed by Jack Conway, starring. Gene Harlow in the lead role. This is about a woman um, named Lil Andrews, who um, is definitely like part of a working class, and she wants to kind of make her way up to elite society. And her way to do that is to basically relentlessly pursue um, a married man, Bill Jenner Jr., who's played by Chester Morris. And so his father is super rich, so that's been passed down to him. He is married happily married i will say to irene um and you know lil she doesn't care she's gonna break them up she's gonna get married to him that's how she is going to ascend into aristocratic society um and that's basically how it goes um the film is about her pursuing that once again it's a really short film it's like an hour and 20 minutes so um not very long um I will say that I think it lives up to its reputation as being very pre-code. Granted, in a different way than Merrily We Go to Hell. Like John said, Merrily We Go to Hell would be still be like very progressive today. Um, this one is pre-code because it is just like sex, sex, sex um, without ever actually being shown. 
um, pretty much every bit of dialogue, the way that Harlow presents herself in the film, oftentimes very scantily clad. Um, she is pursuing, she, she's not shy to mention that she has sex with men. Um, and we come to find that it is definitely more men than one um, as the film goes on. Um, but yeah, I, this film, I, I think Harlow does a good job in the role and that she really commands it. She's very into it, very committed to it. I don't think it's a great performance. I definitely don't think it's a great movie. I, I, I'm kind of on a similar boat to um, Anu La Liberté. I know I pronounced that wrong, but in that it's a very fine film. I think it's interesting for the way it was and how influential it might've been, even though that influence is like partially going towards the creation of the production code. Um, but I do think that for a character that is interesting for everything I just described, there's nothing beyond that to her. She's not a very three-dimensional character, very 1D. She sets her sights. The film kind of presents her as very, very bad. Um, and that's all she is. And so even though it's progressive in that, you know, this woman is a woman who likes to have sex and isn't afraid of it. It's not progressive in the fact that it shuns her for that. Um, and it, it, she very much becomes a villain of the movie um, without any doubt she is the villain. Um, like I said, I think Harlow does a good job. I think the cast is actually like more loaded than I expected. You've got obviously Chester Morris, May Robson plays um, Aunt Jane. Charles Boyer shows up in it, um, which I, I didn't know he was in this. Um, but I don't think that anybody is really doing their best work here, except for maybe Harlow. I haven't really seen her in anything else. But um, it's an interesting movie. I think it's worth watching just for the history. It's one that I think is fine, but didn't necessarily totally enjoy. I think it's pretty shallow, to be honest. I watched this right at the beginning of um, the pandemic, so two years ago, and I really liked it then. And now re-watching it for this, I thought I'm kind of in the same field as you, Brett, where I'm like, it's fine. It's not like the best thing ever, which is kind of unfortunate because there are movies, though, that will like really impact me. Like, Merrily We Roll Along. Merrily We Roll Along. Oh, my gosh. Sondheim. <laughs> Christian has gone 20 years into the future and has now seen <laughs> And you know what? Ben Platt. Same. Uh, Merrily we go though. Oh, they recast her with Leah Michelle. <laughs> Brett doesn't get that joke. Anyway. No, I don't. You scared me for a second. Oh. oh my god. You need to join the world of theater twitter anyway um merrily we go to hell where i liked it the first time liked it the second time but with redheaded woman the story of wendy from wendy's thank you that one you understood um like you said i thought it was just fine i did like that it really provoked such a provocative statement of like this woman gets what she wants through her sex appeal i mean this is a i mean this is for 1930 whatever i quote-unquote sexy movie um it is unfortunate that she's shunned by society you know where they're like eh, this woman don't you know what kind of woman she is and everything but i mean gene harlow is such a, i think gene harlow is a fascinating kind of individual and especially like her her whole story if you know about her story like first of all she's born in kansas city which is cool um we actually have a parking garage that has celebrities born here and she's listed on that 
So, you know, but also she died super young. She was only 26 years old when she died of kidney failure. So her persona is nothing more for like, it's like a 10 year stretch. That's all she's in. And yet she's so, I mean, she's so well-renowned, so iconic with that blonde hair. I was going to send both of you a picture too with her in the redheaded woman look because the author of this, or sorry, the author, the screenplay writer of this is Anita Luz who wrote um, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which Brett, we know you love that movie now. <laughs> but the uh, produ- there's a production photo with Anita Luz and uh, she's trying to hit Jean Harlow over the head because, you know, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, but Jean Harlow not being blonde in this. Yeah. Only movie where she ever did that. Oh, really? Yeah, this is her only non-blonde role. But you know what? It still works. Once again, shout out Karina. Um, pretty sure Harlow is part of the Dead Blonde series, or she's, she's part of one series. Was she? Yeah, she's. I think she's third in it. Yeah. So also really good. I've not heard that. Karina, come on. <laughs> Every movie will have a Karina Longworth yeah. reference. Especially this. Um, sorry, I interrupted you there, Christian. Did, did you want? Me oh to- no, that's it. that's it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I like you both said. Um. Very pre-code, and yeah, it's more fine than good. Um, Harlow does not have her platinum blonde hair here, um, but still has the pizzazz. Uh, I love Jean Harlow and Brett, we're going to revisit that this is your only Jean Harlow movie because we, uh, we're going to correct that because <laughs> um, I'm such a fan of hers. Um, but like the character is weirdly written. I don't know that it's necessarily Harlow that's the problem here as much as like from every given scene, she's like a vamp and then a vixen and then a villain, vi- a victim. Um, she's playing all of these, like every scene, she's sort of, you can't tell what's real and what's fake. Um, and I don't think the movie is smart enough to take advantage of that or to make it feel on purpose that like the character doesn't know it. So why would we know it? I don't think, I feel like it's just the screenwriters don't know what to do with a character like this. Um, it's hard to tell also what Chester Morris sees in her other than she's Jean Harlow. Um, like, is he just enamored with lust? Is what's the deal here? Um, and that makes the back half of the film weird because you wonder why he keeps falling for her lines um, when it's clear that this is an unhealthy relationship for her, for him. Um, so yeah, I don't didn't like it that much. I I always like Harlow. Um, she's much better. It's this is a weird sort of. I can never Christian. I think you brought up a really good point because she's only famous for about ten years, and so I can never quite tell like where the Harlow legend happens because she starts out right at the gate with Hell's Angels, and then she's got movies like this, and then she eventually does Dinner at Eight. But it's hard to tell sort of why she became a legend or why her she's endured 80, 90 years after the fact. Um, so yeah, I think that's really interesting to sort of try to figure out what what it is about her other than she's sort of this Marilyn uh, prototype from the 30s, but very different actress styles. And I forgot, um, I, I have seen one other movie, The Public Enemy. Um, so technically my second Harlow movie, but not, not one of her, I don't think, well-known ones. So. I'll be sending you a copy of Red Dust after this. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I think we're all pretty much in agreement with this one. Um, once again, no Oscar noms. Definitely interested in seeing more Harlow and whatnot. Um, I do find it interesting that this was originally written by F. Scott Fitzgerald, um, the screenplay, and there was like some drama there, and they ended up pretty much rewriting what he put together. 
Um, so I would be interested to see the version of this that was written by Fitzgerald. Um, that would be really interesting, but alas, we do not get that. All right. Any final thoughts on redheaded woman before we go to our last film? All right, Christian, take us away. Okay. So our next film is actually an original, the original film of a film we've previously talked about. So for whatever reason, Christian picked in 1983, Scarface, thinking, oh my God, I'm going to like this movie, the Al Pacino version. And, you know, it's a movie, it's there, it's iconic for its own little thing. Thinking of this, then I was like, well, I have the option to pick the original one. Should I do it? Sure. Twitter poll said, you know, Christian, you pick winners. You're amazing. We're going to we're going to storm the Gilded Films podcast, all of my followers, and we pick winners only. Okay, so this is Scarface, the original version directed by Howard Hawks, and it tells the story of um, an Italian immigrant in this case, not a Cuban one, Tony Camonte. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. If I okay. remember right. Um, played by Paul Muning. And in this case, it's not the drugs that he's um, selling. It's actually, uh, he's a boot bootlegger. <laughs> Sorry, bootlegger. So liquor. It's illegal at this time, obviously. Um, and literally, think about this as a much shorter version of that 1983 long-ass version where it's nothing but crime and trying to get rich and trying to be the most successful bootlegger mobster in Chicago at this time, especially in the 1920s when such people as Al Capone is trying to steal some of your turf, but while you're trying to make your turf more highly successful. Um, at the same time through all this, Tony is also trying to watch out for his sister played by Ann Dovorak. Vorshak. Say that again. Vorshak. Okay. Ann Vorshak. And if we want our Karina along where she's got an episode on her. Oh my gosh. All right, where he wants the best for his sister. I know that there's like a, I'm sorry if I keep like, you know, mentioning back and forth with these, but you know, it's familiar in your minds. But he just really wants the best for her. Um, but she tends to do off on her own things while he's trying to run his business while also trying to stay alive. Because with the increasing threat of just more people trying to take over his turf and being more successful, this Scarface, as I like to call him, title, uh, just has a lot of shit going on. And also he has an actual scar on his face, which that in and of itself made me like this movie a lot more than it's <laughs> remake. Okay. And I will say I did like this movie. I like these, the 1930s violence of it all. Um, it does give you a lot of graphic violence. I mean, for something like this pre-code era, another pre-code thing we're talking about, in this case, we're talking about the gangster films, okay? Something that is incredibly famous for this time being. Paul Muni is great in this, I think, as Tony. Um, really just seeing him go from, I don't know, small bootlegger to this really kingpin of this whole business and just fuel his anger and hate and resentment for everything. So, um, yeah, I really like this. I am very actually surprised that I like this because having that bitter taste of its remake in my mind, 
I just fully expected not to, but at the same time thinking of, oh, I like movies like this, this, The Public Enemy, um, Little Caesar. Those are, I mean, obviously those are like the three most well-knowns that I've seen. Um, there's others out there, but yes, I very much enjoyed this. So definitely check this one out, please. It is much better and is much shorter. That's a perk. The world is yours. Yeah, I, I'm going to go off that because that's that's kind of where I would begin in that. I will say right out, I think this viewing was influenced by the fact that we did watch the 1983 Scarface and, and also even by the public enemy because going into this, the public enemy of those three that you mentioned, the famous like 1930s gangster film, it was the only one I'd seen. And it's a film that I enjoy, but I definitely don't love or come close to loving. Um, I, I think it's kind of just fine. Um, whereas this one, I really like, um, I, I think it's a really good movie. Um, way better than De Palma Scarface, like miles better. Um, and part of that, you know, I think it does one thing it does still has is kind of the same issue to where like, uh, this lead character is bad to the bone. Everything he does is bad. And we're not really given anything as to why there's not much development beyond that, but it's more excusable here. One, because it's a lot shorter. And two, because I think Muni just has a lot more charisma to him with this performance um, than Pacino does in Scarface. Like in, in Pacino is just annoying and ridiculous. Muni can be a little bit over the top as well, but he has a, a, a really strange charm in this movie to where like, I want to see where this guy goes. I want to follow his story. Um, and I'm sure part of that is because, you know, this film makes very clear. I, I think this was still a censorship issue that, it tells us in the beginning, like, this is a, an evil to society. We must do something about these gangsters. And this is a bad guy. Um, and he is. Um, I just, this is, this is what I want from a 1930s gangster movie. It's, it's got the bootleggers. It's got them pulling out the Tommy guns as they do, like, drive-bys. They're driving those old cars. It's set in Chicago. He's clearly based on Al, uh, Al Capone. Um, I've also said Al Pacino again. Um, clearly based on Al Capone. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that they were very clear about when they were making this movie. And it's just, you know, it, it's one of those, it gets inside of like, what does this look like? What were bootleggers like? Um, how do they go about assassinating each other? How do they form these kind of like partnerships and how do they decide what their turf is? Um, so yeah, like I said, Paul Muni, really good. I also really like Oscar Perkins. Um, I think he has a pretty good supporting role here as well as kind of like the boss who becomes an enemy. Um, yeah, and I also love the way it's shot too. I mean, obviously Howard Hawks can, as we've talked about, can direct anything. Um, I like the way he uses shadows here. Like there are some scenes where we see what's going on in shadows. Um, like there's a scene that references the Valentine's Day massacre and we just see these bodies lined up in shadows when I'm talking hear the gunfire and then they all just go down and I'm like god that's a cool shot um so it's things like that that kind of elevate it for me um I just find it really interesting and a lot of fun honestly and like you said it's an hour and 30 minutes it, it doesn't waste time so there's that too yeah um so I had not seen the Pacino uh, Scarface uh film recently I think college would have been the last time I would have seen it so um, most of the story was relatively 
it wasn't familiar in in that it wasn't part of something I'd watched a few weeks ago. Um, and I agree with both of you. I really like this movie and it's better than the Pacino version. Um, I am not a Paul Mooney fan as a rule. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen a film of his other than this, because this is my first time watching it that I really like, but I get it. Like he is so, um, I think, um, Brett, you said charisma. That's the word here. There's so much swagger, so much charisma here. Um, the film's violence with Muni playing his character is kind of grounded, but increasingly manic, um, criminal. Um, I think that's so well done. And obviously the biggest pre-code aspect of it, but um, Mooney's obsession with his sister, um, played by Anne Vorschach, um, like that's obviously to a modern viewer, the more shocking aspect of this is that like, there's clearly something there that's not appropriate between the two of them. And uh, the final standoff in the film is legend for a reason. Um, I thought it was so good. Um, like both of them sort of going mad with power and unable to see the fate they've been sealing since the beginning of the film. I think it's really well done. Of all of those formative, I agree. I've The Public Enemy, I think is good. I mean, it's it's got that one scene with May Clark and James Cagney and that grapefruit, but otherwise it's just sort of there. But Scarface feels like it's building to something. It's I, I get why this, this became sort of an obsession and would eventually inspire my freshman college roommate to put up a poster of Al Pacino um, on our uh, dorm room wall. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, and it, uh, I don't, I, maybe that was everyone's freshman roommate have a um, yeah. uh, <laughs> poster. Um, the other thing, obviously, we need to mention the mascot of 1931 to 32, Boris Karloff, is also in this movie. Yep. that That's one thing. Not enough Boris Karloff in this movie. There's uh, no yeah, because it's a very, very brief appearance, but I, I really like when he's there. That was an interesting character. So trying his best, like Chicago type accent as well. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I will say with this, um, I always feel like I have a story. Look, I went to film school. I have stories. Brett took this class later, but do you remember the the history teacher who taught like America at the movies or whatever? Yes. Shout out Dr. Hegel. Yeah, I don't know if you had the same thing, but like we did not watch. I'm now surprised about it. We did not watch any of the, again, three quote unquote famous gangster films from this time period. Um, instead, we did watch another Palm Muni film, which was I Was a Fugitive from a Chain Gang to represent the Great Depression era, uh, which is a good film in and of itself. But the, oh, excuse me, my Facebook, uh, I'm popular. But uh, the one that we did watch was the Roaring. The Roaring Twenties, yeah, which yep. you know, interesting that we wouldn't watch that. But every time I see Paul Muni, the man is like, I, I honestly don't know what Paul Muni looks like because I have <laughs> yeah. such varied different images of him in my mind from this, from Emil Zola, which you know, fuck that movie. Whenever we get to it, to Louis Pasteur, to whatever else he's in, Last Angry Man, which he looks obviously he's older there, but completely different. See, Not- I don't, I don't even know what he looks like. He's a man of a thousand faces, also like Lon Chaney was, um, but in this case with the sound era and everything. But in this, I mean, like I said, it's seriously slap on the actual scar to his face, and I appreciate this a lot more. Okay, it is incredible to see this man go so ballistic for the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we also watched the Roaring Twenties, and this, like, it was 1939, so it was like after Prohibition was repealed, 
and more so looking back that's i think something that i really like the roaring 20s but i think this one has a, a little bit more value just because it's so right there um like this is right around i'm pretty sure this is right around the time that al capone was like in his um like going to prison for tax evasion and things you know around that time so um it just feels very very of its time but but timeless because it's still really enjoyable and it obviously influenced a lot of movies later on too so even beyond the remake all right any final thoughts on scarface I have some random trivia about it. Cause, Go for oh, it. Yeah. I, when I get into a movie, I always read all the trivia about it. Apparently. See, remember, Brad, people like trivia. I love trivia. Um, so apparently Clark Gable was um, like considered for this role, which is so like, again, this is like, like um, Bela Lugosi with Frankenstein. I want to see that movie. I know it's terrible, but I like, I want to see Clark Gable playing this role because he's just he's not he couldn't do this but I want to see it and then um Karen Morley who plays Poppy in this who's the love interest like a really fascinating really sad life after this she ended up getting blacklisted she was one of the only actors to have their name said in open congress by Robert Taylor and so like she was blacklisted her whole career and ended up being a my like a third-party politician in New York in the 50s um, so like very weird career for her. Um, and I think the other thing I was struck by here and I, I haven't seen that many times where this happens. So this might just be a Frankenstein and Scarface situation, but they both have intro cards. Frankenstein has it with the, with a, I, I'm assuming a fake studio head coming out and right. saying, warning them about the the film that they're about to see but Scarface they say at the beginning this is based on real people it's all based on true stories obviously it's based on Capone but they can't say that um and so I I'm I don't know if that's is that common I these are the only two films I can think of of this era where they did something like that other than like the Treehouse of Horrors right <laughs> yes <laughs> No, but I can't think of anything else that really does that. Yeah, it seems like it's just a weird, you know, this sort of, um, I don't know, symmetry for this podcast that both of those, and they're the, both the winners for the the um, the poll. People wanted to see intros to their yeah, movie. Yeah, right. I, that's, the Frankenstein one, I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I completely forgot about that, but I loved that just because I was thinking like, oh man, I can just imagine like you're going to see this in 1931 and this guy walks out and like has to like warn you about how terrifying this movie is going to be. And I just imagine like people like looking around and like, what are we going to watch? <laughs> and so Hitchcock would have done that at some point. It's it feels yeah. like, oh, but I don't can't think of anything other than the TV show. And I'm probably just thinking of the TV show. I know he did the, the that, promos. That would have been something for that would have been something for him to do, though. Right. Yeah. Without the TV, yeah. Very good. Me Any final up, thoughts? Me, me typing up movies that are introduced. Oh, yeah. Keep going. I'm just looking. I don't know if okay. I'll find anything. <laughs> well, while Chris is doing that, we can go ahead and jump into our honorable slash dishonorable mentions from this year. We've got 10 here. Um, 
And so we'll kind of go through these like we typically do and provide any brief thoughts. First one up here, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I watched just before starting this podcast and really enjoyed. I like we said, Frederick March is awesome in it. Yeah, I saw it this week too. I think what's incredible to this, and I don't know if you thought the same thing, Brett, but like the special effects in this, I actually Googled because I was so confused how they could do it without CGI. Yeah. Where he's transforming and there's no cut from his face. And apparently they did it through filters and he's wearing all of the makeup and it's so different shades of makeup and playing with it on being black and white. They use different filters that would show different aspects of the makeup. And so that's why they could do it without cutting away, which is so smart and really, really good. It's a really, it's way better than I expected. I'll be real. I wasn't expecting much. I assume this was like a overacting fest that was going to sort of fell in love with but March is great Miriam Hopkins is really good in it too mm-hmm. and yeah terrifying I've yeah. seen it too sorry you didn't say anything Christian you were talking <laughs> I've seen it before I really like it and it's the one time that we get an actor tie between yeah. Frederick March and Wallace Beery yep yeah yeah, I, I hadn't Googled yet. I was planning to Google how they did that because I was thinking, I was like, how the hell did they do that? But that's really interesting. All right, next we have Emma. Is that the one with Anya Taylor-Joy? <laughs> yes. There's yeah. not a period behind it, so I'm guessing not. Oh, it's it's Marie <laughs> Dresler, period. Um, no, it, I saw this one. This is one of the Best Actress nominees. Um, Dresler is nominated. I don't love it as much as most people who see it do I, I really and I like Dresler and other things I like her in Men and Bill I like her in Dinner at Eight but this one um yes, I love that the period got updated there um and so uh, yeah I, I like I, I I she's better than the movie but and it stars a very young Myrna Loy in a small part um but wasn't super thrilled but yeah one of the best actress nominees nice so next we have Flowers and Trees, the Oscar-winning Disney short film from this year. It's cute. It's cute. The first Technicolor film, uh, animated film. So, I mean, it's beautiful, but cute. Like, the yeah, the visual effects are the reason to show up for this. Nice. Uh, next we have Freaks. I like how when I hear people talk about this in, like, I don't know, retrospectives where it's like, oh, it's terrifying and in reality, it's, I mean, oh, you know, obviously it's not the terrifying we think of today, but it is creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's certainly terrifying by 1932 standards, like the mm-hmm. ending, which at least part of this Ryan Murphy borrowed from the fourth, for, I can't remember which season, American Horror Story that was, I think it was four. Um, but a lot of this is borrowed from that, but it's, it's creepy. Um and the last 20 minutes are something. I don't love the first hour of it, but the last 20 minutes, so good. Is it only like an hour and 20 minutes? It's probably, it's probably even less than that. The last 20 minutes, whatever's in front of that, if you're doing the math at home, you know, <laughs> call me out on it. All right, next we have The Guardsman. I watched this uh, two hours ago, uh, or two when two hours before this podcast would have started, um, and it's not good. It's not me for best actor and best actress. 
I spent the first hour of it realizing that they had remade this with um, with uh, Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy as a musical, um, which was also not good. Um, it's not good, but L- Lunt and Fontaine, their only real um, film that, sh- that they ever made, if you're ever in New York, that's the name of one of the theaters on Broadway. But yeah, I tried to see all of, I saw all of the, the lead actor and lead actress nominees in preparation for, for our podcast here. And this one was my last one. It's not, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that's who stole the spots from March and Sydney. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> this, this Sydney and March are so much better. Than this. <laughs> so Sydney had to wait like 40 years to get an Oscar nomination that she could have just gotten it here and been fine. Next we have monkey business from the Marx brothers. It's fine. It's not like my favorites. Okay. It's their first original one. Yeah. Um, and and as a as a Gilded Films fan, I need to ask Brett: Have you finally seen the bottom? Third <laughs> of the I have not. Uh, no, haven't gotten there yet. Though I'm sure they're amazing. I'm sure, they look great. <laughs> you sure they're speaking like not in subtitled and everything? <laughs> I can't remember what episode that's from, but that's I loved that. Oh yeah, yeah. I need to correct that. <laughs> Uh, next, we have The Music Box, which I did watch today. Laurel and Hardy. Very funny. Christian would be happy to know that I gave it five stars. Um, I Cinema. absolutely adored it. So, Cinema. Yeah. Okay. It is I uh, five stars from Brett, five stars from me. Then there's John. Um, Cinema. <laughs> I gave it four. <laughs> Very good. Too low. <laughs> it is hilarious. It is a god-given right to watch this short film um i laugh every time i watch it i feel so bad for them but at the same time i love seeing them in peril right okay that's exactly how i feel i'm like oh no don't do that and i'm like oh my god please do it because it's so funny all right next we have platinum blonde um, apparently the rule of this podcast was that we only watched the Gene Harlow films that um, talk about her hair color because this is <sighs> another Gene Harlow hair color film. Um, it's fine. It's fun, um, but not great. And considering it's, I believe it's directed by Frank Capra, you sh- I would expect more from this given what Capra would do with Harlow. You'd think that would be I'm double checking that just to be um, positive, but I have in my notes that it's directed by Frank Capra. And um, I would have expected more from that combination. It is. And Loretta Young's in it too. So like it's, you'd think it would be better, but it's not bad. It's just not as good as it should have been. All right. Next we have the star witness. This one's also one I wrote down. Um, I was trying really hard to see all the nominees to be like that A student, but I, I missed two. I missed Transatlantic. Um, but The Star Witness, it's a Walter Houston crime drama. It's fine. Um, Dickie Moore is really fun in it. He's He plays a little kid in it. Um, but it was nominated for Best Motion Picture Story. And um, yeah, one of just sort of a sort of a relatively run-of-the-mill um, uh, kidnapping crime story. Interesting. And last but not least, the one that Twitter did not vote for in our poll, um, but that we should have a little brief discussion about because I think it's interesting, is What Price Hollywood, um, which is basically um, the 
the predecessor to a star is born. Um, and it's, it's very easy to tell that that's the case. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I, I thought it Constance Bennett is really good in it. And I like the direction it takes with like her kind of pursuing her career over a romance and the, the romantic, her romantic partner in the movie is not um, like the, the Hollywood director who brings her in and kind of gives her this stars born narrative, which I found really interesting too. So I really enjoyed it and thought it was really interesting. Yeah. I liked it too about the, the Norman main character. Yeah. is not, it's, it's her friend. And I think it adds something to the film overall. I, this is my favorite Constance Bennett film. I really like this was this was my pick in the in the poll. I was the one who lost the poll for for those people back at home. Um, but I really loved that um, the film values her career ambitions, which feels very modern and honestly is missing from pretty much every other star is born. Um, I don't know that any of the other ones like talk about what she's losing in her career with the tragedy that happens at the towards the end of uh, I'm assuming your listeners have seen at least one star is born so they know sort of what's happened there happened in that direction but um I I really liked this movie this is my second time seeing it it just holds up really well yeah I also love the background like there's so much about it that is about like the making of movies from her point of view and of course, I, I love that. And there's also like the the role of like the media, like the, the head of hopper types and things like that, the gossip columnists. And like, it's such an interesting factor, too. Um, but yeah. Wasn't wasn't it written by Adela Roger St. John, who was a gossip columnist? Oh, I believe she did. I, I know she did other things in her um, journalism career, but I believe she did have a, um, a gossip column at one point. Interesting. There you go. That makes sense. And is this, so this was nominated for Best Motion Picture Story. Is this the first Oscar-nominated film to mention the Oscars? I don't know if that's... I can't Probably so. Because she wins an Oscar in the film, and that might be the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, it's funny because it's an, it's an Academy medal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Christian, I know you're not a big fan of this one. I didn't know this. I, I only saw it once. I did not rewatch it because it didn't win. Um, <laughs> and I don't remember it, but I looked back at my review and it was like two stars. So, all right. Well, we actually do have a last one here. It is The Sin of Madeleine Claudette. Uh, whoops. No. Nobody likes this movie. I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I enjoyed it for what it was. We'll leave it at that. No other people's opinions. Thank you. All right, I'm sharing my opinion, even if Brett cuts it out. Um, I did not like this movie, but I'm going to be real here, Christian. It is Helen Hayes wins my personal award of the three nominees. This is possibly the worst best actress lineup ever. <laughs> um, like none of these women are going to show up in my personal award. So I feel confident I can say that about Helen Hayes in this. Like, I I finally seen the guardsman. No, none of Oscars should have done better. Like they nominated Best Picture nominees with way better performances than any of these women. Interesting. Well, that that is a good segue because we are now going to go into our personal awards for this year. Um, starting as we always do with our screenplay awards, we'll start off with Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, Christian, first or last this time? I'll go first. Okay, take us away. 
Okay, my adapted. Here we go. At number five, the smiling lieutenant. At number four, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. At number three, Grand Hotel. Number two, Merrily We Go to Hell. And my winner, because taking something so boring and making it something so grand, is Frankenstein. John, what do you got? So I have at number five, Merrily We Go to Hell. Number four, I have Frankenstein. Number three, I have The Return of the Smiling Lieutenant. Um, Number two, One Hour with You. And number one, Grand Hotel. All right. So at number five, I have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. At number four, The Smiling Lieutenant. Number three, Grand Hotel. Number two, Bad Girl. So I'm the Bad Girl champion here. And number one, Merrily We Go to Hell. All around. All different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that'll be the case of the next one. We'll see who all, I, I think you both got five here. I definitely didn't. So let's go into best original screenplay. Okay. So for best original screenplay, I just want to preface here that uh, every time, John, I apologize if I never got back to you for the Twitter thing. I had family this weekend. So I was like avoiding people. Um, and then y'all were texting me when I was trying to watch Elvis. <laughs> and I was like, y'all don't you work so i only have three me christian mr completely completely mr only has three yeah history you're listening to history here honestly feel like this is a first christian i know (laughs) i only have three i could i could literally bullshit this and expand it and put some short cartoons in this but okay, my number three is Monkey Business, which I just added two minutes ago when John was like, this is their first original, isn't it? And I'm like, is it? Um, at number two, I have The Champ and my winner, because Sue Me is The Music Box. Thank mm-hmm. you. I nominated Miss Piggy once. I can do whatever yeah. I damn well please. So I have five. <laughs> <Ooh>. um, <laughs> though I'm not recommending these. These, these are, This is a stretch for at least the, the first couple here. But number five, The Star Witness. Number four, Platinum Blonde. Number three, Monkey Business. Number two, The Champ. And number one, I had What Price Hollywood. Okay. Well, I originally had three. And then I figured, well, since Christian threw in a short film, I might as well do it too and go with four. So uh, number four, I have Anu La Liberté. Is that how you would pronounce that? Close enough. Oh, is that uh, original? It's not original. It's adapted. Oh. What? I, Hold I on. Otherwise, I'm changing mine here. You can't always get what you want. It says Renee Claire story and screenplay. So did he write, did he publish a story before? I'm double checking here because I checked this like an hour ago. Um, maybe it isn't, in which case I should have mine updated. It looks like it was based off of, interesting. Okay, I, for some reason I thought it was uh, uh, adapted. All right. Well, now, I ha- now I have four. There you go. Now, now we both have four. So... Um, Okay, so that's my number four. Number three is The Music Box. Number two is What Price Hollywood. And number one is The Champ. So once again, three different picks. 
All right. Now let's go ahead and go into best supporting performance. Christian, take us away there. All right. At number 10, I have Waffles. <laughs> Shanghai Express. Number nine, I have Warner Oland for Shanghai Express. Number eight, I have Anime Wong from Shanghai Express. And number seven, I have Wallace Beery for Grand Hotel. And number six, Genevieve Tobin for One Hour With You. Number five, Miriam Hopkins for The Smiling Lieutenant. Number four, Claudette Colbert for The Smiling Lieutenant. Number three, Joan Crawford for Grand Hotel. Number two, Lionel Barrymore for Grand Hotel. And my winner is Boris Karloff for Frankenstein. All right. So for my um, supporting performances, number 10 is Gregory Radoff for What Price Hollywood. Number nine is Harpo Marx for Monkey Business. Um, number eight, Miriam Hopkins for The Smiling Lieutenant. Number seven, Roland Young for One Hour With You. Number six, uh, Anime Wong in Shanghai Express. Number five, Lionel Barrymore in Grand Hotel. Number four, jean Tobin in uh, One Hour With You. Number three, Joan Crawford in Grand Hotel. Number two, Miriam Hopkins in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I also have Boris Karloff for Frankenstein as number one. I'm going to be controversial. Oh, my um, God. Number that 10. About Schmidt. <laughs> I don't think it'll be that controversial. We'll see, though. Uh, number 10, I have Oscar Perkins for Scarface. Number nine, Roland Young for One Hour With You. Number eight, George Barbier for The Smiling Lieutenant. Number seven, Miriam Hopkins for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Number six, Wallace Beery for Grand Hotel. Number five, Joan Crawford for Grand Hotel. Number four, Anna Mae Wong for Shanghai Express. Number three, Minna Gumbel for Bad Girl. Number two, Lionel Barrymore for Grand Hotel. And number one, Genevieve Tobin for One Hour with You. Okay, I suspect we're... Yeah, I, I'm loving Christian's uh, face right now. <laughs> well, let's go to lead. Christian, take us away with lead. Number 10, Greta Garbo, Grand Hotel. Nine, Jean Harlow, Redhead Woman. Eight, John Barrymore, Grand Hotel. Seven, Sally Ehlers. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Ehlers. Yeah. Bad Girl. Six, Sylvia Sidney, Merrily We Go to Hell. Five, Wallace Beery, The Champ. Four, Frederick March, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Three, Jackie Cooper for The Champ. Two, Paul Muni for Scarface. And my winner is Frederick March for Merrily We Go to Hell. So for mine, my number 10 is actually one of um, Christian's supporting performances. I put Claudette Colbert for The Smiling Lieutenant at number 10. Um, number nine, Sylvia Sidney for Merrily We Go to Hell. Um, number eight, Frederick March for Merrily We Go to Hell. Number seven, Jackie Cooper for The Champ. Six, Lowell Sherman for What Price Hollywood. Uh, five, Marlene Dietrich for Shanghai Express. Four, Constance Bennett for What Price Hollywood. Three, John Barrymore for Grand Hotel. Two, Frederick March for um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And my number one is Paul Muni for Scarface. Ooh. Okay. I think I'm being controversial in more ways than one here. Um, number 10, Constance Bennett for What Price Hollywood. Number nine, Boris Karloff for Frankenstein. Uh, number eight, Marlena Dietrich for Shanghai Express. Number seven, Miriam Hopkins for The Smiling Lieutenant. Uh, number six, Frederick March for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Number five, Sally Ehlers for Bad Girl. 
Number four, Frederick March for Merrily We Go to Hell. Number three, Sylvia Sidney for Merrily We Go to Hell. Number two, Wallace Beery for The Champ. And number one, another piece of Gilded Films history, my first child performance to win a personal award is Jackie Cooper in The Champ. Jackie Cooper ran. So hopefully, um, who's the little who's the little guy we don't you don't like? Jacob Tremblay. Because he does more than scream endlessly in his movies. So <laughs> no, not true. <laughs> Got a nomination. Boris Karloff, though, at number nine, you just threw him to the wolves. Well, see. To me, lead is really if he had if I had put him in supporting, he probably would have been top three at least. But lead is a lot more competitive, and I think he's a lead. Uh, it, 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 I, I get the argument, but I think it's still his movie. So there's the there's a first here, a child performance winning, and Christian only having four nominees in a category. It's true. All right, let's go we've on to best. We've nominated dogs. We've nominated pigs. <laughs> Let's go on to best director. Christian, take us away. All right. And number five, I have Dorothy Arzner for Merrily We Go to Hell. Number four, Howard Hawks for Scarface. Number three, Joseph von Sternberg for Shanghai Express. Number two, King Vidor for The Champ. And my winner is James Whale for Frankenstein. Mine, I also have Dorothy Arzner at number five for Merrily We Go to Hell. Number four, Edmund Goulding for um, Grand Hotel. Yeah, Grand Hotel. Sorry, those rhymed. It threw me off. Um, number three, Howard Hawks for Scarface. Number two, Josef von Sternberg for um, Shanghai Express. And I also have James Whale at number one for Frankenstein. <laughs> number five, I have Dorothy Arzner for Merrily We Go to Hell. Number four, I have James Whale for Frankenstein. Number three, I have Ruben Mamoulian for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Number two, I have King Vidor for The Champ. And number one, I have Howard Hawks for Scarface. All right, a lot of difference here. I'm really interested to see how Best Picture goes. I, I, I have an idea, but we'll see. Christian, take us away here. Okay. Where is it? Oh, here. All right. And number 10, I have uh, One Hour with You. And number nine, Shanghai Express, number eight, Scarface, number seven, Grand Hotel, number six, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, number five, look how much it shot up, The Smiling Lieutenant, and number four, Merrily We Go to Hell, number three, The Champ, number two, The Music Box, and my winner is Frankenstein. So my number 10 is Freaks, number nine, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, eight, Scarface, Seven, The Smiling Lieutenant. Six, Merrily We Go to Hell. Five, One Hour With You. Four, Shanghai Express. Three, Grand Hotel. Two, What Price Hollywood. And number one, I also pick Frankenstein. All right, this is going the way I expected. Number 10, I have Grand Hotel. Number nine, Shanghai Express. Number eight, What Price Hollywood. Number seven, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Number six, The Smiling Lieutenant. Number five, Bad Girl. Number four, Frankenstein. Number three, Merrily We Go to Hell. Number two, Scarface. And number one is still The Champ. Uh, oh, surprised. Surprised that you put Boris Karloff so low. <laughs> Are you really, though? 
A little bit, yeah. <laughs> He's very good. He's just Frankenstein, a movie which Brett called a little too scary. He's very good. I love the performance. It doesn't scream Oscar winning to me personally, but still very good. So, all right. Um, so that is what we've got a couple for Frankenstein, one for the champ. Um, so yeah, this was fun as always. Um, be sure to tune in next time. And I know we'll have John back soon. I'll let him say when he's coming back for that. But as always, uh, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Thanks again to Joshua Arnoli for doing our theme music. And yeah, a lot of fun. John, final thoughts from you. Any plugs you want to give? And when are you going to be here next? Um, yeah, so I am going to be here next. I will be coming back for 1948. So I am super excited to get to talk Hamlet with both of you. Uh, and, um, yeah, if you want to find me, uh, my blog is the mini rantings of John, just put that in Google and you'll find it. All right, Christian. The mini rantings of John. Look at that. It's the first thing. (laughs) Okay. Look at that. You got yourself a website. Fact checker here. (laughs) Leave me alone. (laughs) I I like to call people out. Um, no, that's it. It's going to, yeah, this was nice. This is fun. These movies are hard to watch because of that whole, like, what is eligible and mm. everything. Because we have so many from 1931 that we couldn't get to and from 32 that we couldn't get to because they weren't eligible. So it was nice though, to see what was and what we watched. And um, no, next we're going to, should I say what we're going to next? Sure. Go for it. Okay. Well, listen in because we're going to 1951. So an American Paris, a streetcar, a place in the sun, two others. <laughs> Who remembers those other two? Ovidis and yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, facetious decision before dawn. Thank you. Yes. Uh, but honestly, who remembers those two? Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I have a whole list of what to watch. So it's gonna be a lot of honorable mentions. Awesome. Yeah, be sure to listen then. Be sure to ch- Keep an eye out for 1948 when John will be back with us and we'll catch you then. Bye.